Um, last week, if you think about it, we talked about the unabated, uh, unabated love of God. We're in the I Heart series, I Heart. Um, when you think about it, we get to I Heart back towards God and towards others because God I Hearted us. God loved us first, so we love Him. And in that, that love is not a love that can be impeded by anything where it's God's kind of love. Now, man's love tends to be conditional. Our kind of love is conditional. We measure it, and we have expectations, and if people meet those expectations, then fine, we'll give the love uh, to them. But God doesn't do things that way. God's love is extended to us through his son that while we were yet still sinners, God gave his son. He gave us a love that is unabated. Now, I wanted to read that definition again for those that weren't here last week. The unabated love of God is this, continuing at full strength or force without becoming weaker. Nothing can weaken the love of God. There was five things that we covered about the unabated love of God and how it is extended to us. That it, Those five things that it is, one, unbreakable, two, unending, three, unselfish, four, unmerited, and five, unchanging. Those, out of those principles, if we understand those principles, then there's nothing that we can do, there's, there's no way we can fall short that keeps God from reaching out to us. If you remember me saying, it's, it's our ability to yield back to God, that if we yield to that love, God's love is always reaching for us. The question is, will we allow it to connect? Do we shut the door towards God or do we open the door? You know, the picture that, that I had in my mind as I was thinking through this, if, you ever, if you've got kids, you know what this is like, or if you grew up and you stayed in a hotel with your mom and dad or whatever it may be, who's ever stayed in a, in a hotel room where it had adjoining rooms? Give me a loud amen if you have. Amen. You all know what I'm talking about then. So if you've stayed in those adjoining rooms, you understand and it's kind of a good thing. If you're staying in one of those rooms and somebody's over there and you don't want them to come in your room, you're pretty appreciative that you can lock it from your side, right? But you have to open it from both sides. And the thing is, when God sent his son Jesus, he unlocked the door from his side never to be locked again. And it's up to you to unlock it so that there's access. In other words, God is there and he gives us access. You can boldly come before the throne of God before the throne of grace and obtain mercy. So because of his grace, his unmerited, that was one of the words we learned last week, his unmerited favor, I can get to his throne. And when I get to his throne, the thing that I didn't deserve gives me what I need. You understand? I don't deserve his unmerited love. There's nothing I did to earn it, but he gives it by his grace. Unmerited favor of God, grace. And that I'm able to boldly, I can, I mean, boldly, can anybody describe boldly to me? What's boldly mean? Come on, Jason, give me an amen. amen. That's bold. And every once in a while you're sitting in here and he'll throw one of those amens in when everything's nice and quiet and you're like, who is that, right? <laughs> it's the bold guy, that's all I got to say, you understand? And so boldly, this is what that means. How many of you have fallen short of God's grace? Huh? All of us, right? So you fall short, but you can march in like with your chest out, your head up high. That's arrogant. No, it's not. It's confident. There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. See, what I know is that when I march in boldly because of what Jesus did for me, I march boldly in to get what I need. It makes me right with God. 
The unmerited favor of God doesn't make me right with God. The mercy of God makes me right with God. See, the favor of God, the grace of God, doesn't necessarily change me. The mercy does. It's like, well, I don't, I don't get that. See, the unmer- if I can't earn it, in other words, I've got it without earning it. And if I realize what that really means, what happens is, is that even though I have a confidence towards God, I have a brokenness on the inside, knowing that my Savior died on the cross, had to die on the cross for me to receive the mercy that I need. Come on, that's better than you're letting on today? I'm telling you, that's good. Every one of us need it. Every one of us need it. Keeping that in mind, I want to read our scripture then, and I want you, I want you to keep that in mind as I'm reading through these words. I want you to, to understand that that unmerited faith, you're boldly going before the throne of grace, you get to obtain that mercy that you need so that it sets your life on a right path. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested. Remember last week we said manifested. In other words, it's, it appears. It's there. may not understand all of it, but it's there towards us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a, the propitiation for our sins, that purchase price for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Next week, we'll take a look at that last verse a little more in depth. But with that, I want to say this to you today, that God's unabated love needed an example, someone, if you will, to kick things off in a different direction, a catalyst. Say catalyst. So so here you have the unabated love of God. In other words, you can't earn it. There's nothing that's going to stop it. It's never going to get weaker. It's always going to be as strong as as it ever has been, reaching for mankind to draw them back to God, to reconcile man back to God, to restore our relationship with him reaching ever reaching never being impeded by anything that's the that is the unabated love of god so how's that all going to take place it needed a catalyst and jesus was that catalyst catalyst this is what it means a person or thing that uh, precipitates an event or change a person or thing in this case we'd say a person the thing was love that person brought the unabated love of God into the world, offered his life up so that there would be, offered his life up in a specific event that brought change forevermore. Calvary was that event that brought eternal change. Calvary was the event that brought eternal change. Therefore, Jesus was the catalyst of God's unabated love. He is the catalyst of all that heaven offers if we'll just unlock the door from our side and let him in, right? The Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who... Very good. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What's diligence? It's just unlock it, yield to him, let him pour into you. Why? Let me go back to to 1 John here and read this, this part. It says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
And this is the love of God. It was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. See, all is offered, it's unlocked from his side. Living through him means saying, God, my life is yours. I give you access. Watch, he doesn't take free will. He asks for us to yield free will. I yield my will for your will. Last week I talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's having his moment. He's wrestling with being able to yield to God's will for his life. But he gets to that moment because of the price, because of what it costs him. Yeah, you, you know, it's kind of like this. I talked about the, the list that we make. And is it the list or is it the relationship that we have with God that changes us? If I do this right and this right and this right and this right, then I'm good with God. So we're saying it's merited? I earn it? Y'all with me here? Give me an amen if you're with me. So, so I, I don't earn it, so it's unmerited. It's extended to me, right? So the list is not a list that I'm working down through to get myself right with God. It's a relationship that I'm pursuing because he's the one that will make me right. Hmm. Three things took place at Calvary. There were three things that took place at Calvary that made all this possible. Number one, he stood in the gap. Jesus stood in the gap. He is the great mediator, our advocate with the Father. Jesus paid the price for all to have access. That's what verse 10 is saying. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, something we could not do, could not earn. Jesus paid the price and opened the door. question is, will you accept it? We just unlock the door from your side and let him come in. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become, here it is, the righteousness of God in him. Again, all that yielding, that turning our life over to him and saying, God, would you come? You know, there's a very, there's a great difference between conviction and condemnation. I mentioned that last week. There's such a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation comes from the devil. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, has come to convict the world of sin. Why has he come to convict us of sin? He comes to convict us of sin that we would turn. Remember I said about the law as the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ? In other words, we see the law, and all too often the devil, see, when we become aware, that's what it says. When we are aware, all of a sudden it's sin. We become aware of it, and what happens is, is then we start to feel condemned. But remember, it's the devil that comes in to condemn you. God will never condemn you. What he will do is he will, con- he will, he will bring conviction so that you turn to him, you unlock the door. And that the Holy Spirit comes then. In this passage, what it's saying, the Holy Spirit is the one that will come, and he convicts us. And what does conviction do? Conviction causes us, say turn. turn. Conviction causes us to turn. Conviction, is, here's the word. To repent. There's a word that, that we could say our society doesn't like, and especially when you think about the way that the world looks at the church, to actually talk about repenting from sin, it's not something that goes over so well with the world, is it? It's not something that goes over well with the church. That's why the world can't see it, is the church has a problem with repentance. That's too hard, right? I say that from the standpoint, again, it's not, to, it's not to beat down on the people of God or to make people feel bad. 
to say that if we ever lose sight of, of the doctrine, the teaching of repentance, and we basically, what we do is say, well, I'll take this and this and this, but God, you can keep that. Can you say the door's locked? The door's locked. We can't cherry pick. You know what cherry picking is, right? You can't cherry pick with God. You get in his word and it's like, well, I'll take that one, but I don't want that one. You get all of him or nothing. Is that too hard? Angie, do you want all of me or nothing? <laughs> Come on, I'm trying to make sense of it to you. Huh? Anybody married in this room knows. You got a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know. It's kind of like if, he, if, if, if your boyfriend's like, hey, you know, or your husband's like, you know, I'd like to have another woman on the side, you know, and you'd say, and the wife would say, what, ladies? Hey, you can't cherry pick with me, buddy, right? Huh? Men, anybody okay with that? Being the, that your wife could have? And, huh? No, you can't cherry pick, right? <laughs> There's the boldness coming around on that. Y'all hearing me today, I hope. We do that with God all the time. We cherry pick his word and we say this is okay. It's like, well, then is it a list or not? No, it's a person. And that person comes, you see, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of what? Truth. See, and the thing about truth is it, he comes in, this is the funny thing about it. It's like uh, uh, Charles Finney called it this in, in uh, uh, I think it's Fires Revival, or it's a book on, on revival by Charles Finney. Anybody know who Finney was? One of the greatest preachers uh, in the you know, early 1900s in America. I mean, led people to Christ by droves. Total um, transformation. He said one time he walked into a factory. He was so prayed up, so close to God, that he walked into this factory. He was kind of a, a homely-looking guy. He walks into the factory, and this gal started making fun of him, mocking him, kind of like, look how you know, silly he looks, the way he was dressed and all those things. And he just looked at her and stared at her, stared in her eyes. She broke down and began to sob. And the presence of God began to move through that factory, and one person after the other after the other were breaking down and sobbing. The, uh, the, the um, factory, the boss, he comes down like, what is going on in this place? And the next thing you know, he's impacted by it. So the factory shut down for the day while they had revival. In the, they met for church in the factory. And people gave their life to Christ. And transformed, began to transform that town. And what am I saying to that? Is I'm saying that, that there's, there's this thing about, you know, the, if you will, the list that we want to make. We all make lists for life and we start to think of our relationship with God that way. And, and what happens is, is it's the wrong. It needs to be the relationship first, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a righteous requirement. It's like, so I do have to keep a list. No, he'll keep the list as long as you stay close to him. And the spirit of truth that comes in, here's what he won't do. Finney said it this way. There's a lot of people who give false comfort to sinners. What is that? Oh, it's okay. God loves you just the way you are. It's okay. And leave them there. I'm not indicating Angie's in sin. We all are in some way or another growing, right? It's okay. God loves you right where you're at. He loves you just the way you are. Is that true? That's truth, isn't it? But God loves you too much to leave you there. And what he'll do is he'll, he will, his Holy Spirit will bring conviction and will begin to, hey, 
just take a closer walk with thee, right? And he begins to walk with you and talk with you, right? And he tells me that, you, you all know that old hymn? Some of you yes. folks in here have been saved long enough to know that hymn. Yes. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. Yes. See, that hymn speaking of relationship, the walking and the talking, I promise you the walking and talking you'll do with God, you'll get a glimpse of who he is and it'll make you want to be like him. You can't help but want to be more like him. Why? Because this passage we just read, he's love. It's like, but I see a lot of scriptures that talk about judgment, and they talk about God's wrath, and they talk about, and that's the beauty of Jesus. He took all the wrath of God upon himself at Calvary. He was the catalyst that made the unabated love possible for every one of us. Amen. Number two. He saved us from hell. You don't hear a lot of preaching about hell anymore either because that's not popular. Now, my grandpa really liked to preach about hell. Some of you heard me tell that story. Him telling me, you know, when I was a little kid, when you turn 12, because Jesus was in the temple confounding Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, there was something about, you know, 12 is the age of accountability. Once you turn 12, if you don't get baptized in water you're gonna, and you die, you'll go to hell. You, all your flesh will burn off. You'll be a little skeleton dancing around in hell, Derek. That's what he told me. I'm like, what? I don't want to be a skeleton in hell dancing, you know? It's like people's perspective of hell. It's like if you've ever seen cartoons, that's kind of what it's like. Let me just say, that's not what hell's like. Hell is torment, eternal torment and separation from God. If, you, if you've been joined in relationship with God and you know how beautiful that is, the burden that lifts, the yoke that breaks off your life, and the beauty of the relationship that we have with Jesus and every other person that's out there, and you know what it was to be separated from God, think about that eternally. And every person that doesn't know Jesus Christ will have eternal separation from God. And the worst part about it is, is they'll be in a place that burns with hell and fire, with, burns with fire and brimstone for all eternity. It's like, man, God sounds mean to me. No, that's purification. He sent his son to purify the world by our yielding to his will, unlocking the door from our side and entering in to being like him, to walking in love and extending that love to others around us. So the judgment of hell, and that's the problem with the church when it wants to tell you, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to hell. That's not Jesus didn't come and condemn anybody, did he? Nope, he came to save the world. The good news is, is that you are condemned to hell and Jesus came to save you from it. Do you see the difference? Uh, some of you looking at me like, what? You know, yeah, that's what it says. John 3.16, how many know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God, 317, didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world because the world is already condemned by the word. See, the, the next verse is pretty important to understand the one prior to it. That all mankind stands condemned. And Jesus came with good news to save. But if you don't unlock the door from your side, all that he offers you can't get there because... His design was he gave you free will. We're not robots. And he desires relationship. He desires to help us, but we've got to allow him to help us. Amen? 
So he saved us from hell. It is his death on the cross, the death that releases his precious blood that opened the door of salvation for every sinner who will come to God. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what redeemed us, saints. Amen? Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In Him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness of his grace. And Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Interesting how it throws that in there. We see all the squabbling of, of, of countries and and politicians, kingdoms and kings and people trying to get power. And the reality is, is that Jesus is over all the kings of the earth. It may not look like that. Just like it may not look in, like in some people's lives that Jesus came to redeem them. But they got to unlock the door from their side. All the promises of God are yes and amen. The door's unlocked. Everything's waiting. But will you acknowledge him so that they can come reigning in? Come on now. Our nation did that when it was founded. It was established. The Bible was a huge guide for the founding fathers without question. And you think about the way the Constitution was written. It was written so that we had freedom to do what we're doing today. But there are many in the world that would want to take that freedom away. All right. I'll get off the political soapbox, if you will. It's not really politics, just so you know. It's the issues of our day. It's the issue of of our day, and we need to return to the Lord. There needs to be repentance, and not only in people's lives, but in the leaders of our country. There needs to be repentance, and we need to turn back to God. When you hear people declaring that we're not a Christian nation any longer, it seems as though they proclaim that with great pride. Now we've joined the world. We're like them. Hmm. The Bible calls us to be like our God and not like the world. Amen? Just an extra nugget there. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Number three, he restored our relationship with God. He restored our relationship with God. He was a catalyst in restoration of relationship to God. When we go from being lost to found, dead to alive, blind to seeing, it is all because of the catalyst of unabated love. John 14, 6 says it this way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, say no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets to God unless they're going through Jesus. Now, that seems to be uh, one of those things. It's like, um, it's the, um, uh, I'm trying to think, the, there's a term for it. Let me just use the good old boy term here. Um, there is no one else but Jesus. It's bouncing around the back of my head. It's the um, singleness. I'll make sure I have that next week. It's a theological term that basically what it outlines is, is that, but what about Buddha and what about Muhammad and what about, what about all these other religions? Are you saying that Jesus is the only way even where their religion's concerned? I'm saying Jesus is the only way to the Father, period. 
the difference between Christianity and every ism and every religion out there is this. Everything I've been explaining to you, your works aren't going to get you in. It is his sacrifice that gives you access to your heavenly father. That is why he is the way, the truth, and the life. He gives you access. Every other religion in the world, all the isms, well, you do this and you do this and you do this and do all these things and then you'll, you'll earn your way in. Or you'll earn your way up, some of them say. You get different levels and different statuses. And, you know, you know some of you if, you, if you go blow yourself up, you get 70 virgins in heaven. I mean, that's not a carnal approach to the, you know. I mean, that appeals to your spirit, right? To men's spirit. Like, you get 70 virgins, man. That's, that's real spiritual, isn't it? No, it's extremely carnal. And when I read my Bible, it tells me that heaven is not the same as the earth. That, 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 you know what? Marriage, I will know Angie, but it's not, I'm not going to know her the way I know her here. There's not a male nor female, bond nor free, Jew nor Greek in Christ Jesus. All those, all those separations, they're gone. Might be why heaven's perfect, because all those differences that we have, man, it's amazing how they divide us, isn't it? I can't speak to the details of heaven. I can certainly speak to the nuances and some of the, you know, the big picture things, because the Bible gives us insight to that. But whenever you hear something being preached or communicated that says you can earn your way up with God, or you can earn your way in with God, you just have to know it's false. It's a lie. It's deception. It misleads. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind. And if that's not the case, then why did he die? And not only die, but resurrect. And there ain't nobody else, no other religion that can share that fact about those they follow. Come on now. And you all should have said a loud amen on that one. You can still do it. <laughs> All right, let me bring us in for a landing here. <laughs> Galatians 4, 6 says this, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, which we've learned, Daddy, Father, our Daddy. Now, that's a close, intimate relationship. That's a God you don't have. See, you don't have to be all wrapped up and worried about what if I do. What if I do something wrong? What if I make a mistake? I mean, God's you know, He's a supernatural killjoy in heaven with a big stick, waiting until I get out of line to smack me. No. No, He's a heavenly Father. Now think about when my kids messed up or lost their way or you know did something they shouldn't. My my heart, even though there was a clear line, God has a clear line. I mean, He's not clouded on that. There's a clear line. Jesus is the line. His life was righteous, and we can look at it and go, man, I just don't measure up, so God just wants to punish me. No, no, he establishes the clear line, and then he gives that invitation. Hey, you can come this way, because I can help you be all that you want to be and all that I desire you to be. My kids, that was the, it was kind of a tug of war. Would you agree, Vanessa? Right? We still have a tug of war sometimes, like, you know, like she asked me what I think about something. I tell her that's not what she wants to hear, Right? Uh, that's not what she wants to hear, but we go back and forth a little bit. I respect her free will, um, but yet, you know, and I'm not right about everything either. Now, that's the difference between earthly fathers, children. God is right. That's why I want to display that for you. I'm not. God is. So here's the thing. She comes and asks my advice because she knows I love her, 
And I've been right a whole lot. <laughs> I've, been, I've been right more often than not. Would you say amen, Nessa? Yeah. Yeah. Reluctantly. I've been a good parent. I've, I've been involved in her life. So she knows I love her, vice versa. And that, that connection that's there brings about trust. It's amazing when I look and I say, how many people don't trust God? And he's perfect in all his ways. The Bible declares him perfect in all his ways. He either is or he's not. I say he is. And I say that I do better to trust him and to seek him and ask him to help me with my life than to try and go it alone and stiff arm him and keep him at a distance because he just doesn't understand. I think he understands all too well my life. Amen? All right, let me give you a uh, B here. God's un, uh, unabated love has been displayed through many catalytic examples in the Bible. So we have Jesus, but I want to give you some examples in the Old Testament, and I'll wrap up. <clears throat> when you think of 1 John 4, 7 through 12, it is reflecting on God's purpose throughout the Bible. It is not a new thing. It is the same love finding a new way. If you will, finding a new way to display itself. Jesus was catalytic. The Bible gives examples of catalytic moments in other people's lives. They, they did well. They fell short. They, Jesus was the catalytic leader because he did well in all that he did. But the Bible gives us types and shadows of Jesus, types and shadows of the character of God's love in the Old Testament. And we see these catalytic moments throughout Scripture. And so... Um, what I would say is, is the first one, forgiving love. We see moments of, of the forgiving love of God in these catalytic moments. Joseph was a perfect example in Genesis 45, 1-8. He was lied about, sold as a slave, ripped from his home and father, falsely accused, put in prison, waiting, waiting, waiting. Say waiting. Anybody ever felt like you're waiting? Waiting, 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 all because of his jealous brothers. Yet, when the moment came... He still forgave. He still forgave in that moment. That was a catalytic moment. That's, that's the stories we read when we think about how we've been wronged in life. And we read the story of Joseph and we're like, whoa, man, I've never been sold as a slave. <laughs> I wasn't falsely accused, thrown in prison, you know, uh, you know, represented God, interpreted dreams so others could be set free. And hey, don't forget me. And they forgot me, you know. <laughs> I didn't live through that. I haven't lived through that kind of stuff yet. I mean, I've had some of my own challenges in life, but when I read the story of Joseph, it is catalytic in my life to see the depth of forgiveness that Joseph gave his brothers. That, that catalytic moment of the Old Testament scratches the surface of how great the forgiveness of God was towards us through his son, amen? A second one, the redeeming love. Hosea, Hosea 3, 1 through 3, a wife named Gomer, a prostitute, yet... What a redeeming love. What was that? Well, that basically God tells the prophet, he says, hey, go marry a prostitute and bring her home with you with her kids. Excuse me, God? <laughs> I'm a godly man. The neighborhood, they, they all see me as godly, and you want me to go marry a prostitute, and I'm selling that as you told me to. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> what God was saying is, go to the worst of the worst, the, the down and out of the down and out. Go to the, go, go, here, let me give it to you this way. Women who in that time were basically, you know, 
it's like camel, woman, let's see, you know, I need a camel for my, for my fields, uh, I need a woman for my life, let's see, camel, woman, they're about the same category. Y'all hearing me? Well, then, if it's a woman, now look, understand, if women are held in that place, then how bad was it for a prostitute? The lowest of the low. Mistreated to the extent that this, nothing can compare. And Jesus, or God says to Hosea, hey, go, go get a wife, a prostitute, bring her kids home with you. Now, here's what happens. Because she had lived that life, I want you to, to look at this now. Because she had lived that life, she went back to it. And, and Jose, you know, he's heartbroken. Like, well, God, you tell me to go do this. And then she goes back. And, yeah, go get her and bring her back home. Excuse me? Yep, go get her and bring her back home. Goes and gets her, brings her back home. Gets her back home, guess what she does? They have another, she's got another kid now. <laughs> Off she goes again. Go get her, bring her back home. Basically, it's showing this display. The redeeming love of God, there's nothing you do that makes him stop loving you. He'll keep coming after you. Are you locking the door from your side? <laughs> Gomer would lock the door from her side. And it got to the point to where she was sick. And Jose gets her, brings her back home. And basically, he loves her. He loves her all the days of her life. And that's the way God is towards us. Even though you fall short, even though there's moments in your life, God will come after you, and he will come after you, and he will come after you. All you got to do is unlock it from your side. Come after him. Amen. Turn and come after God. Amen. Because his redeeming love allows you to. Number three, compassionate love. Peter denied him, lied about him, yet Jesus still said, on this rock I'll build my church. And we know that in the final moment of, of, of um, where Peter, he's with the disciples, and there's this moment. Jesus has appeared now. He's resurrected. He's going to ascend to the heavens, but basically when he's appeared, he, he shows himself to Mary. And he says to Mary, tell my disciples, right, go tell my disciples. And he adds on the end of it, and Peter. Why? Because he denied him. Jesus told him he was going to deny him, Right? And he lied about Jesus. And Jesus showed him compassion. You ever been around friends? You ever been around people and you just don't want to talk about Jesus because you're just afraid of what they might think of you? That's where Peter was. And I would venture to say every one of us have had our moments like that. And I want to say the more society continues to go to the place to tell you to shut up, you better speak up. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The only way for people to be saved, the only way for the life to be transformed is for the good news of who Jesus is, who we know Jesus to be, to be shared. I'm seeing so much out there today. There's such hostility to Christianity today. It's crazy that, that, that Islam can come and they can bomb you know, our, uh, the Twin Towers and they can destroy things and shoot people and all that goes on. We talk about a righteous lifestyle. You know, they're going to go and just murder everybody. And, and, and ultimately, the, well, we just need to, we, need to, we need to try and win this through love with them while we beat up on Christians who show love, even though we have a stance of, of conviction. Does that make sense? And let me say, then make no mistake about it. You can go read in the book of Thessalonians, and you'll know this. The spirit, say the spirit. spirit. See, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in this earth. He's at work. And there's a, in, the, in the King James it says, only he that now letteth will let. I'm like, what the world? You with me on that? The first time I read that, I'm like, 
Uh, this is stupid. I have no idea. Elizabethan English, here's what it means. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And the reference there is to the Holy Spirit. It lives on the inside of all of us who have accepted Christ and, 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 and opened the door from our side to let him come in and make his abode in us. That what happens is the Spirit of God is what restrains us. That where the Spirit of God resides, what happens is there is restraint to an anti-Christ, or if you will, an anti-Christian, little Christ, that we're following Jesus, an anti-Christ spirit, that we can't go anti-Jesus on anything in our life. Or we don't feel right about it, and conviction comes, and we're like, I can't be anti-Christ on the way I'm living. So God, help me to live for Jesus. Help me to be like Jesus Christ so that I can be a witness to others. And they also can be set free from an anti-Christ spirit. The only hope that that's going to happen is for us to have compassionate love towards the lost, towards people that don't know Jesus, but at the same time hold true to our convictions, be able to communicate them in a way that says, look, God loves you, I love you, I just don't agree. And hold that stance without saying, oh, now they're mad at me, so let me just be quiet. We silence ourselves, and I'm telling you that if the gospel is the power of God under salvation, the gospel must be spoken, and it must be lived. People are going to get it two ways. They see you living it, and they hear you speaking it. And if you'll do that, I promise you, it'll have impact on people who want to open the door from their side, who want to yield to God. Amen? Number four, healing love. Healing love. Uh, I'll use myself as an example. Me, abused, angry, bitter, offended, hurt, selfish, lost, and lonely. Yet Jesus still reached down and picked me up out of miry clay. All the junk I went through in my own life left me only concerned about me. Going to take care of me. I'm not going to trust anybody ever again in my life. I'm going to go live life the way I want to live it. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. And God appears in my life. He comes into my life at 19 years old. And he begins to change and transform. What's he do? He, it's his healing love. And Jesus died on the cross. Salvation is healing. Salvation is compassion. Salvation is redeeming and salvation is forgiving salvation is so much more than just these four things go study the names of god and you'll see all that jesus is to us jehovah jireh is our provider uh, salvation is provision on and on and on and all those things are open to me what i had to do was open it from my side and allow it to come in so it could change me and transform me and through that, then extending that to others around me, I begin to see their lives changed and transformed, not by me. All I did was share the good news of what God did in my life. And it gave them hope that God could do the same in their life. Amen? Amen. Listen to this. Psalms 103, 1 through 4 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Those mercies 
<laughs> right? That are new every morning. They never come to an end. That we are able to obtain. Why? Because of the grace, the unmerited favor of God, the unabated love of God that was provided for us through the catalyst Jesus Christ at that place, Calvary. This morning, I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to take communion in a moment. But before we do, I want to ask you this. What about you today? Just bow your head, close your eyes, let this speak to your heart. What about you today? Could you fill in the blank for yourself where that's at for you? Is the unabated love of God working in your life? Do you feel like the door is closed? It's not closed from his side. Do you want to open that door today? And if you want to open that door today, it's simple. You just pray this prayer. I'm going to ask those of you that have already prayed that prayer and you are yielded to Christ, would you pray it so that we give those who are in a place lacking confidence, we help to give them faith and have confidence that God could do it in their life. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus opened the door. That he created for me an opportunity to open the door from my side. It's by your grace, God, and your grace alone that I am saved. It's not my works. So, Father, today, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I let your compassion be extended to me so that I can be free and I can live the life that you've called me to live. Now, we're going to pray this. Uh, for those that have never accepted Jesus into their heart and they want to, we're just going to pray this together. Jesus, your word declares that if I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, I shall be saved. So, Lord, I declare that today, and I receive you into my life. Change me. Teach me. Give me your Holy Spirit. Guide me into all truth. And let me live my life for you and no other. Amen and amen. Listen, I just want to extend this. If you did pray that for the first time after service, I'd want you to come find me because I want to help get you on a, on a path of taking your next step toward baptism and, and uh, some discipleship, learning about uh, the decision you made today. Lord, we praise you. We thank you so much for your sacrifice. May we always honor it by simply giving you place, opening the door from our side and allowing you in wherever you want to work in our life. May we always be yielded to you so that you can do your best in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, God bless you. Enjoy your week. And enjoy your 4th of July.